This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to More Than Amuse. I'm Stani. And I'm Sadie. And thank you for being here to learn more about women and the arts and talk with us or I guess listen to us talk (laughs) and discuss it all. I'm excited to be here today. Me too. I'm actually really excited about this episode too. Me too. This week is one of our topic episodes. I don't think we've ever like formally described the format but every other week we do an artist and then the weeks we're not doing an artist we will cover just a basic topic that touches on the areas of women and the mm-hmm. arts and relates to it in some ways so that's yeah that's our that's guess, our pattern like, I guess a little bit of back end on that we usually try to pick like one more historical topic mm-hmm. and then one more like pop culture relevant topic true and then we have Sadie's artist of the month and then my artist of the month and if there is a fifth Monday which sometimes happens then we just kind of do whatever we want yes and that's fun (laughs) it is fun I like having five in a month Mm -hmm. it's always like a little wild card so I guess whatever you like the most I don't know we got something if you're just here to learn about artists or if you'd rather the discussions but hey listen to them all I, I hope yeah test them all out I think they're fun the reason why we did it is I don't know like history is just Like, it's just pop culture from the past. You know what I mean? Very (laughs) true. Yes. (laughs) And I think about that all the time, especially with, like, artists we find, where it's, like, reading about different gossip stuff and everything that happened. And it's just like, oh, Dumas would have had a field day with this. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Like, this would have been page six headlines everywhere. And I think it's, like, fun to see the parallels between, like, what was happening then and what's happening now and how, like, it's not that different. And that's comforting sometimes. And other times it's, like, completely devastating. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I think even just a couple weeks ago, we covered the opera singer Maria Callas and like Mm -hmm. the amount of things that were just direct mirrors to what we're seeing nowadays. Yeah, it's crazy. And I I love that. Yeah. Yeah. History is just pop culture except 100 years ago or however many years ago. (laughs) And it's fun to draw those parallels. And I think that this is one of those episodes where we definitely are talking a lot about something that's existed for a really long time Mm -hmm. and how it continues to exist and kind of how it's been called out recently. And also the fact that this has like been a huge TikTok trend over the past couple of months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure everyone's at least heard of these ideas. Terms, even male if they don't gaze know exactly versus female gaze. Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say just, yeah, this obviously has existed forever and we've talked about it and touched on it in previous episodes, but I feel like the actual terminology at least more recently has been more popularized to this male female gaze, almost to the point that You know, people are getting tired of people talking about it on TikTok and things like that. But hey, it's important to discuss and discuss when it's legitimate and it's something that we should, you know, be aware of. And it's interesting. I think it's just fun to talk about. I think it's incredibly interesting. It actually Mm -hmm. like there's so much more to it than we'll even cover in this, which I feel like we're always saying Mm -hmm. because all of these topics people have written like books and essays on. I feel like you could teach an entire college class on (laughs) the male versus female gaze. Yeah, Yeah, just because it's fascinating. So it's more of just like a little taste, but it definitely makes me want to like look at things differently or read Mm -hmm. some of these books that we'll mention. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, just to like briefly start, I'll talk later about how media kind of shows the male versus female gaze. But I think a more recent personal example of this is, have you seen the TV show or heard of it? It's called Reacher Mm -mm. on Amazon Prime. So it's based on a book series called Jack Reacher, where it's basically like this (laughs) former military policeman who's retired and just like, travels he's kind of a nomad no one can hold him down type of person you know what I mean Mm -hmm. he goes from city to city like solving crimes and things like that 
anyways um we were watching it and my husband and i and like the first episode i was just giggling because the character just like kept making just really witty jokes and it just seemed like every person was just like whoa he's so big and strong <laughs> and I, I was like okay like there's no way that like people actually would be like that like he would draw that much attention for being that tall and jordan was like no he really is like that big of a guy in real life like you would totally do that because it takes place in a really really small city in georgia oh, so yeah he was like if that happened and i was like i'm just not buying it but basically by the end of it i was like oh this is for this is for men like this is the male fantasy yeah of how they want the world to see them and so that was my male gaze tv show and then at the same time i was watching bridgerton for the first time where i think is a great example of a man for the female gaze for for the female audience yeah i would argue most regency films are (laughs) very very true and so when i was watching like both of those shows at the same time i was just like laughing at the difference between the way that their male characters were presented and it's just it's just funny. It's not necessarily good or bad because I was like, you know what? This is a rom-com for men and I'm just watching a rom-com for women. And sometimes people have different audiences and obviously they treat their characters differently if they're catering it to different audiences. But it was just a very funny, like tangible example. And I knew you we were doing this episode and I was like, that's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> no, I love that. I also feel like it kind of we owe a disclaimer at the beginning that, of course, this is coming from like a very heteronormative viewpoint. True. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that, like, there's not women who find the more, like, manly men more attractive or men mm-hmm. who feel that way, you know? like Yeah, of course. Yeah, there's so many different spectrums. It's more of just, like, patterns of how people have viewed male viewers and male filmmakers versus female viewers and female filmmakers over time. Totally. There's some major differences. There is some major differences. <laughs> it's crazy. It's really crazy. Well... Do you want to start off and talk about the origins of all this? Yes. So first we'll talk about the male gaze. It was a term coined by a feminist film theorist, which I don't find surprising at all, actually. No. (laughs) Named Laura Mulvey, and she actually wrote a book in 1975. Wow. So that's the earliest of that exact term being used obviously the idea of it has existed for a lot longer Mm -hmm. but she had a book called visual pleasure and narrative cinema which sounds extremely interesting i'm sure a lot of film majors are probably required to read it totally and it was just the idea that through media and culture and art that women are objectified and seen primarily for their physical appearance their prop yep A means to an end. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And it becomes so obvious the minute you start noticing it, like how often women Mm -hmm. are used this way. She stated that men have historically had power over what they wanted to see or not see in visual art because it was made predominantly by them. So because they get to pick what's shown and what's not shown, it leads to an artistic tradition where men get pleasure from looking at females who take on passive roles in the narrative. Interesting, yes. Yeah. It kind of, like, it made me think of a lot of things. The fact that, like, if men are writing the story, I feel like you generally choose a character who's your gender. Totally. If you're writing, or even if you're reading, I find myself drawn more to books where... Yeah, because it's almost like you don't have to work so hard to relate to the character. Yes. Like, you understand how their brain works. And... That makes sense with writing, too. Like, you'd want to write from a perspective. And, of course, I've read, like, romance novels where they flip back and forth between the male point of view and the female point of view. But, of course, the female is the main character. That's never the question. Yeah. (laughs) So, if men are all the ones making art, if you think about it, men were the commissioned artists. Men were the only ones allowed to write for money. The only ones allowed to participate in many of these activities. It makes sense that all the narratives surrounded the main role of a man i mean and that's not even a bad thing because as artists you write what you know yeah you portray what you know so that's not in itself a bad thing Mm -mm. but if they're the only ones making the art then yeah obviously that will affect society that wow the implications of that are crazy to think about they're insane because that's the problem she's not even saying that it's like bad to have like 
male artists or like no. creating mm-hmm. roles for men. The problem is just that it created the tradition that allowed men to do whatever they wanted with the women's side characters in everything. And it's almost like men were the only one making the art or making, you know, the movies in majority. But yet we were seeing like we were viewing that as like what it should be. Yes. When in reality, it's just from one. It's just from their perspective. Yep. Exactly. Interesting. So that's the problem. It's not necessarily the perspective existing. It's the fact that it was the only one. Only one. <laughs> and then now that's being seen as what should be and what is correct and good and right. Yes. Which is the major problem. She also yes. said that it's important to note that men can be objectified just like a woman would be. But it's just much more likely for women to be objectified because there are fewer female directors making films than there are men. So she wasn't saying that like women are exempt from it. Like women objectify men. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. All the time. Yeah. yeah. But it just doesn't happen as often because the amount mm-hmm. available for that is so much different. She also talks about how the male gaze can like really teach young women that they need to look desirable in order to get attention from boys. Totally. Because that's what movies do. The most beautiful, attractive woman in the world gets all of the attention from the men. And it also turns around and teaches young boys that it's okay to view women as sex objects because that's what the camera lens does. And we'll talk about a lot of examples of that, but like you watch some of these scenes back and it's just like, oh my gosh, get your camera off of her chest. Yeah. (laughs) She Mm -hmm. has a face. She also talks about how like there's so many different ways that the male gaze like so many different filters it has to go through that makes it even worse so not only is it the men behind the camera that are controlling how the camera pans how it views what it focuses on what's in frame Mm -hmm. how the frame is viewed it's also the men in the scene how they're reacting to the woman in the scenario what's happening around her what they're doing how they respond to her how they talk about her then it goes to the men watching the film what they're focusing on, what they're saying about the character, how they feel about it. And then I even felt the need to add a fourth, men creating the character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Men writing the scripts, deciding what she's going to wear, what she looks like, how she acts, what she says. Those are all different things that create the male gaze and make it even harder to burst out of. Because it's not just the camera. It's everything else. It's everything. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen people like online talking about the writer of Euphoria and he just created a new show called The Idol and pretty much just talking about the fact that it's like at a certain point like this is gross. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to make art and you want to write scripts that just have so much of women being degraded and manipulated and like that's weird. Yeah. And at a certain point we need to stop supporting that because it's almost like We're giving them permission in the name of like art sakes or being provocative or things like that. You know, it's just, yeah, it's just gross. And I've seen a lot of people talking about it. I haven't, I've seen the first season of Euphoria and I haven't, I didn't end up watching the second season because it was just kind of sad. I don't know. And uh, I I haven't watched The Idol. I don't, I won't. But yeah, it's just, it's really interesting. People kind of finally calling that out of like, if you're writing TV shows about high schoolers having like really graphic sex and like being degraded and like you want to depict that all the time, it's like, I don't know. Like maybe something's wrong. And like, why are (laughs) we so like fine with that? Well, I've heard even like other co-stars have complained about how he treated Sidney Sweeney. Yeah. Like, for every single shot, he was like, take off your shirt, or it would be better if you didn't have your shirt on, or, mm-hmm. oh, I think this needs to be nude. And she's, like, the only one. Yeah, the only <laughs> one. Like, she's naked a lot in that show. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, that's a problem. You know, that then it's problem. not just the content that's being filmed. It's the way that you're shooting the content. Exactly. And that's kind of the main problem with the male gaze. It strips women of their representation. It doesn't allow them to tell their own stories. It doesn't allow them to present their bodies in a way that they want to. It's presented in the most idealized, glossy version that the men want. It also, she said, it can make women prisoners of men's expectations. And Mm. I think that that's what contributes to a lot of the misogyny we have in our world is like if constant depictions of women are being controlled by men, then soon enough, your own depiction of yourself is going to match that Mm -hmm. because that's what you think you should be. Yeah. And they also compare it to like racial theory a lot because they say like 
The depiction of women by men also reinforces the otherness associated with females. The woman becomes the other that's defined only against a man, which is a lot of the times how other races are treated within stories and media as well. Mm, like they're only it's the other it's yeah it's the non-typical they're and they're an accessory to the main character story yeah because if you think about it being a main character is kind of toxic yeah that's true <laughs> because everyone else only exists to serve to your serve narrative you. mm-hmm. which is why there's no such thing as main character in real life true as much as people would love to argue about that Listen, I sure would love to be the main character in my own life, but that's toxic and bad. So other <laughs> people pressure. <laughs> yeah, very true. <laughs> very true. So agreed. Like, that's why real life isn't a movie. So moving into a little bit of the male gaze in art. It's everywhere, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize it so much. But then when I was reading over your notes about it in art, I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's horrifying. <laughs> it's everywhere. Everywhere so much that in the 1800s, a French art critic and historian named John Ruskin wrote about how paintings of nude women should be framed that they are looking out at you. Ooh. Yeah. Which, of course, just cements the idea that women who are naked should be depicted solely for the pleasure of the viewer. Yeah. Gross. Why does she have to look at you? Why does that have anything to do with you? And it made me remember, I love this quote. I think I saw it on like Pinterest or something, but... When I was doing this whole thing, I kept thinking about it. This is an art critic named John Berger. He actually wrote it in his book called Ways of Seeing, which is another thing that sounds really cool. But he wrote, you painted a naked woman because you enjoyed looking at her. You put a mirror in her hand and you called the painting vanity, thus morally condemning the woman whose nakedness you had depicted for your own pleasure. Wow. Yep. That is a great quote. I know. I love it. And it reminds me of a lot of people have been taking like older portraits and putting like phones in women's Mm -hmm. hands, like a selfie. And they laugh about it and they're like, oh, it's funny. Like that's what it makes it look like. And it's like, oh, you don't understand. A man painted this of a woman. Don't condemn her for doing that. It has nothing to do with her. So that's important to remember and yeah that's kind of the main idea of the male gaze in art naked women are everywhere in (laughs) art and that's one question that you might have is like why are there so many nudes everywhere Mm -hmm. (laughs) and a large part of that is the male gaze it's not a strictly sexual enjoyment factor that's what i was gonna say is it's like on the other hand of that though it's like the people who are like naked people in art that's pornography and it's like no it's not no uh -uh. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and what they kind of described it as is that it's more of the way that they're painting them not necessarily why they are either because a lot of the times artists are using it to study the human body true Mm -hmm. and that's not like a sexualized content but the way that they're painting these women were so idealized and so like focused on the viewer themselves that that's Mm -hmm. what makes it toxic Toxic. yeah and that's kind of the reason why it's important to art history is because it helps us understand like the culture and mindset of the artist and why that shows up in artwork and one thing i liked i found this article i'll have to link it i don't remember who wrote it but she talked about how like it's not so much that they painted naked women it's the way that they painted naked women how all of them were depicted in this super idealized versions that aren't realistic for how like women actually are and that's where the problem comes from because it was making women look how to explain it like photoshopping a supermodel on a magazine cover yeah it was like like it's just fake it's not real yeah. it's not an ideal that you can even hope to achieve to because no. it's just not real completely unattainable mm-hmm. and they did it with men too it's just it shows up a lot in painting with women yeah so here's some examples <laughs> one of them is and Sandro Botticelli's Birth of Venus. I think one thing that shows this is Venus, who's the goddess of the sea, is the most exposed out of anyone in the painting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's also looking directly at the viewer. And Venus is the nude female figure of Aphrodite. So it's like the perfection of goddess of love. She doesn't have to worry about modesty or imperfection. She's love personified. True. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. She has long golden hair that perfectly covers the parts of her that she doesn't want to be seen. Mm-hmm. She's literally like not even a natural skin tone color. 
literally looks like she's carved out of marble. So that's kind of a thing. Like it's the depiction of female bodies in a way that is just a personification of an ideal. Like Mm -hmm. that's not realistic. And I would argue that sadly, this is probably a more realistic representation of the female body than in more current I was just gonna say though like it's almost like you look at the pictures of Greek more old paintings I guess and that does seem more attainable than what we are seeing now and that just shows how far it's gone yeah and I think that's part of the problem with the male gaze is because it's existed for so long it's easier to just push it an inch further every time totally another one is John Augusta Dominique Ingress I'm gonna say all of that wrong but Grande Adult Odalesque? Is that how you say it? Uh, Odalesque, maybe? Odalesque? I don't know. It's a really famous nude painting of a woman. It's a very pretty painting. It is. It's pretty. And from a glance, you immediately be like, oh, how tasteful, because her back is like facing the camera. But what they brought up is that um, it's a very intimate scene that's like, feels a little like you're invading. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And... She has really elongated proportions. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that is a long back. (laughs) Yep. I think someone even mentioned, like, scientifically it doesn't work because she'd have to have, like, two extra vertebrae. True. Like, this isn't me body shaming people with long backs. That is just not a way human bodies are, I think. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so that's kind of the problem, too. It's an idealized version of life. Like, obviously, it looks gorgeous. But, Mm -hmm. like, no woman could ever pose and look like that unless you elongate your back surgically yeah, (laughs) in order uh to look that way. And that kind of creates more of that problem. So, like I said, it's not the fact that she's nude or, like, her position necessarily. It's the fact that they continue to idealize these women in a way that isn't realistic. Yeah, it just shows that this has been going on for a very, very long time. (laughs) Yes. Okay, this one's my favorite one. Because it's so weird. And I remember even when it came up in art history class being like, what the heck? Ah, oh, this <laughs> so, is interesting. Yes. Yeah. It's Edward Manet's Dejourner Sir. I'm sorry, guys. I'm probably saying so many of these wrong. I will post them. I did take the art history classes. We only had to know how to write them. Yep, I didn't have to like fair. ever say them out loud. So I can get the artist names right most of the time if they're like pretty familiar. But like the painting names, I'm sorry. <laughs> they're just in different languages. That's yeah, all. It's French. I don't know what to tell you. I didn't learn French. I'm very American. It's an Impressionist painting. Arguably beautiful. It's a picnic. It's an interesting setting, though. The men are fully clothed, and both of the women are completely nude. Yeah. Why? Well, especially because, like, they're outside. Like, it's not like they're in a bedroom. Like, yep. Hmm. And these aren't men in, like, T-shirts and shorts. These are men in three-piece suits. Yes. And hats. (laughs) Yes. And the women are completely nude. It's weird. Yeah. It's so weird. It doesn't make any sense. And the This is just nude, a male fantasy, I guess, yes, right here. Both the men are like talking to each other. And then the female is looking out at the viewer. Oh, true. Yeah, which is another notable thing. One thing I thought was interesting in the article, she said, meanwhile, this painting may have made any woman looking at it uncomfortable imagining herself in that situation. valid yeah absolutely (laughs) public park you're sitting there nude with two men who are fully clothed in three-piece suits completely ignoring the fact that you're even there yeah i would truly be yeah pretty uncomfortable with that i admit it yes and so they said that this one is like a perfect example of the male gaze because also the women are nude but they're also like not a part of the they're their accessories Yeah, yeah they're just like a prop they're there. Totally. Their presence not even being considered. The men in the painting aren't even looking at them. No, not at all. They're looking at each other. They're very engaged with one another. Yes. So it's just like a really good example or like a good example of the male gaze, even though yeah. it's kind of really uncomfortable to look at. Very much so. Yes. Yeah. So that's a good one to look up if you immediately want to think about it. Another one she brought up that was really interesting that I included just because I think it's a different idea of it. There's this pop art piece called Crying Girl by Roy Lichtenstein or Lichtenstein. And it's just this woman crying. It's kind of like zoomed up on her nails, wiping away a tear in her lips. And the woman's not nude, but like her emotions are like hyper emphasized 
which kind of buys into the idea of like every woman is emotional kind Crazy, of thing. Crazy, yeah. And she said that what's notable about this is that because it was created in 1964, it's a when a lot of these like narratives about how women are being depicted in art, how things are being seen, mm. were coming to the forefront. So they're like, he might have done it in a way to acknowledge the male gaze in some... Like, it, we don't know what the intentions are, and maybe it wasn't mm-hmm. malicious. Yeah. But it's, I think at the very least, is just an example of how it could sometimes be depicted if it's not like as nudes. Yes. It doesn't always have to be a nude. It can be mm-hmm. just men kind of perpetuating stereotypes totally. of women. Or even the fact that like she's sobbing, but her makeup is still perfect. And her yeah, nails she looks, is, she still looks very beautiful. Yeah, exactly. So it's just kind of one of those things that adds into it and obviously there's millions more (laughs) and what's hard about the male gaze is because it's like a subconscious result of culture and society a lot of the times people may not even realize they're buying into it Mm -hmm. and I think that's what makes it so toxic (laughs) is because it's not even necessarily the works of art or the artist that painted them's fault it's just the fact that that's how society's been for so long that it's almost unnoticeable and isn't that worse Oh, 1,000%. Yeah, like I said, like at the beginning, like the implications of the fact that it's all been just men creating the narratives and we've just accepted that as like at its face value of like, oh yeah, then this is what it is and this is what it should be. Exactly. So it's just kind of one of those things to keep in mind. She also brought up that she had a close friend who was a guy that asked her several times why he's drawn to art that features nude women. And she was kind of like, look, you've probably been conditioned as a man to, like, appreciate that and to look at that. Mm-hmm. And it's been perpetuated for so long that, like, that's what looks That's what you're drawn to. to. That's brain. what you like. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's not even necessarily your fault. It's just, like, recognizing that you can look at the world differently once you know why you're looking at the world that way. Mm, mm-hmm. And then hopefully be able to move away from how society is viewing things and start to look at stuff your own Way. yeah or at least just like know where preferences come from and just yeah and i think at the very least then it just shows that's like my preferences are because of like there's there's other factors it's not always innate yes you just exactly. get to be aware of it one thing i also wanted to mention we did a gorilla girls episode mm-hmm. like one of our first years but they had a huge famous like push where they had a huge poster that said do women have to be naked to get into the met museum yeah. Um, that was in 1989. And they were talking about how there were more nudes of women in the Met than there were women artists. Women artists. Oh. Yeah. And so kind of like, oh, if we're naked, will you let us be in the Met? <laughs> <sighs> ah, it's not good. No, it's really not. And they've done a lot of work on that. They also have a exhibition, I think, pretty recently called The Male Greys. Um, (laughs) nice where they talk a lot about this issue and why it continues to be a problem they also brought up another article i found brought up judy chicago and her dinner party which we've talked about previously you pretty much can't study art history or feminist art in any capacity and not come across this piece of art we should do an episode that deep dives on it because we've just touched on it so many times. <laughs> we have. It's a really big, important part of art. But I encourage everyone to look it up if you haven't seen it. It was a triangular table with 39 seats dedicated to an important woman from history. Mm-hmm. And each porcelain plate at the setting had like motifs that she was inspired by like vulvas for. Mm-hmm. Like a vaginal iconography. So pretty way of saying it yes and a lot of people were really upset by that because they were like how pornographic how vulgar you know to show the female body that way never mind that Mm. we have the david (laughs) whatever (laughs) (laughs) so it's kind of a lot of people thought it was contradictory to turn around and get mad at the male gaze and then to push a feminist agenda where they use vaginal or like vulva iconography in their art as like a feminist example when like isn't that kind of what you're not doing and yet you're creating art centered around it but I kind of love that what they brought up is that the first generation of feminist artists were actually owning the right to rewrite the way in which their bodies have been represented and one was oppressing one's liberating so it's kind of like taking back the narrative yourself and allowing you to show your body how you want to 
rather than how the men want to. And I think that's an important thing of noticing is that like sometimes taking the male gaze back doesn't mean not having women in like maybe more revealing situations or like sexual scenes in film. It's more allowing the woman to be a more active part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than just a prop in the And story. the side piece of it all. Yeah. Anyway, it's everywhere in our history. There's a lot of female artists that have been creating more like female gaze-driven nudes of women. One I'll bring up, I want to do an episode on her eventually, but Suzanne Valadon, I highly recommend. If you want to look up just like completely different depictions of female figure in art, amazing. And she was pretty much ignored throughout her whole lifetime, like ignored for a century. That's weird. That never happened. (laughs) But she has like some really cool, unique depictions of like the female body in art and paintings so cool yay well i'm excited for that future episode we're gonna take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists okay so this comes with a story (laughs) i'm ready (laughs) i just saw this tiktok where a lady was on the phone with her landlord getting yelled at for putting chalk on the driveway. I've seen that. Yes. Right? <laughs> hmm Insane. And so it was like, oh, what did she do? And then it turns out she was just like doing little chalk art of little Pokemon on her mm-hmm. driveway of her rental unit. And her landlord compared it to graffiti. Yeah. Uh-huh. I and remember And said that. that she was like defacing property, even though like you can literally wash it off. So then the city gave her permission to go and do it on the sidewalk. And her landlord got mad about that and said she was going to take it to city council because she didn't think it should be allowed. And she kept saying, like, I know some people view it as art, but, like, I just think it's really disrespectful for you to do that to my property. And, like, I pay taxes and so that you shouldn't be allowed to do it on the sidewalk either. And then she was like, yeah, but I pay you rent. And, and it's also, not in the lease. It's, it, is, it is chalk art. Like, it's chalk if she was like, you know, writing something really offensive, like objectively, you know, like even like political offensive. I mean, I guess, unfortunately, some people could take political and run with it. Um, but you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if it was actually a bad thing, she was drawing sexually lewd images. That's <laughs> one thing. <laughs> it would be different. Mm-hmm. But she's drawing like little cartoon characters. Anyway, She's actually really good at this. Like, there's she no is. way. Uh-huh. Yeah, that I could do any of this. She uses, like, water and paintbrushes to, like, give it a smooth texture. And what I thought was really cool is the town actually got involved because, obviously, everyone thought it was ridiculous. So they put her in charge of a new event called Chalk the Town. That's so nice. <laughs> and they're having her chalk the town along with a bunch of other people. It's just downtown in, I think... The city of Hutchinson in Kansas. So if you live there for the July 4th week, they're going to do a bunch of chalk art all over town. That's And have like prizes and food booths and everything else. So the town's backing her up. Thank heavens. (laughs) I want to know, like, who's on this old lady's side? Like, I don't think anyone. It's just her... And I'm it's sure she's doubling chalk. down. And she was even like, I don't see that at any other property. And it's like, have you never walked by a house in the summer? Yeah. There's also- always sidewalk chalk. Kids are out there playing hopscotch and stuff. Like, what on earth? And, and you want to know why it's fine is because literally the sprinklers turn on and it's gone. Exactly. It's, One it's rainstorm and it's there. And for her to compare it to graffiti or defacing property is laughable. No. It is not the same thing. It's like it's not going to decrease your property value. All it takes is a hose. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so stupid. Like if you're that mad about it, go oh, yeah, go man. get a hose. Oh, anyway, so if you want to follow along with the event or just see her cool chalk art because it's cute. Like I love watching it. It's very it. cute. Yeah, it's so fascinating because it starts out all rough and then she like uses the water and it ends up like looking perfect at the end. Mm-hmm. So cool. So her name is Kara Vaughn. And her username is Vera Khan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's V-A-R-A-K-A-U-G-H-N. And it's the same on Instagram as well. And if you're in Kansas, you can go to her event. Um, it's very fun. Yeah. And if not, like you can just watch along. 
And yeah, let's all remember that chalk art is not graffiti or harmful in it's any way. Very cute, actually. Also, yeah, just beautify our world. What's what's the shame in that? <laughs> yes. Adding a little bit more color to those gray sidewalks. One thousand percent. Okay, well, the person that I will be shouting out, they actually tagged us and shared our podcast on their Instagram story. So, Ooh. hey, Lucy, thanks. If you're listening to this episode, you're the best. But I also just love their art. It's Lucy. Oh, no. Now I feel the pressure of pronouncing her last name correctly because I know she listens. But it's Lucy Sudabi, I think, studio. I'll spell it. Lucy, L-U-C-Y dot S-U-D-D-A-B-Y dot studio. She does handmade jewelry using real handpicked flowers and does commissions too, by the way, which, I mean, my artist name that I release music is Daisy. So you're getting Daisy jewelry, right? I think a part of me is going to have to reach out here soon to get a little Daisy choker. This is so cool. Yeah, like, I love these forget-me-not hair clips. They're so beautiful. Oh, and it's handmade in the Cotswolds. Mm-hmm. The Cotswolds is like a cute little English cottage town. Yeah, they're they're really, really just freaky. Oh, my gosh. They're literally even as a daisy velvet choker. Oh, there looks like go. I could literally view it on the website right now. You could buy it right I now. I could buy it in this instant. Dang it. Okay, well, it's really beautiful. I'm absolutely obsessed with it. My favorite thing about the pound and the US dollar being very similar right now is less mental math for me when I'm buying things from other places. <laughs> that is very fair. I actually, I'm like, oh wait, does she do international shipping? I'll check. Regardless, everyone should go check it out because they're also beautiful. All the forget-me-not chokers, maybe I'll just get a forget-me-not choker instead because they're, they're so, so cute. cute. And the rose, like the, the petals, the clips. I do yeah. love forget-me-nots me too so yes go check her out and yeah thanks for listening Lucy. you're the best yeah that's so cool now i want one me too all right now back to the show this episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe dive into the western trend with gold cowboy boots from stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from prada you can shop for everything on your agenda whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Well, I'm going to touch on some of the ways that the male gaze has been portrayed in media, specifically, I think, with our movies. So basically, if you think of any, <laughs> I dare say any movies that were directed by men, you'll find that most often they're filmed in ways that benefit the male viewer like we mentioned um so here's some examples the first one i'm going to talk about is transformers where with michaela barnes who is the character that is played by megan fox in the 2016 transformers film by the way directed by steven spielberg where she is a skilled mechanic a former car thief and you know you would think with that description that that could be a really cool character but No, the character is not illustrated as intelligent or resilient as a mechanic. There's not really much elaboration on her past at all, even though like a car thief, that's intriguing. She's just the love interest and she's just really hot. And that's the focal point of her character is that she's really hot. And it's almost like the fact that she's a car mechanic just makes her like the cool, not like other girls, Mm -hmm. as opposed to being like a legitimately cool thing that someone could be passionate about that would be worth, you know, learning about. Making a part of their character. If you want to see exactly how this character is treated in one scene, look at the the camera work on when she lifts up... The car hood? The car hood. Yep. And it pans up her body... And then you see Shia LaBeouf doing the exact same thing mm-hmm. in the scene. And I read a thing that said how that like validates the male viewer. Like it allows yeah. them to do it too because if the character on screen's doing it, then it makes <sighs> what they're doing okay. Ew. Yeah. And I'll Ew. bring it up again in another one because I saw it in another one and I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what they're doing. But like if you watch what the camera does... That's it is exactly the male gaze because it pans up her body, like focuses on her stomach and her boobs, barely even gets to her head before they switch. That is really gross. I never, yeah, never thought of it, that it's like, it's almost like giving them permission to view the women that yeah. way. Mm. 
yeah, and saying like, oh, of course you did that. You're human. Look at this poor man on screen. He did the exact same thing as you. <laughs> totally. Another example is Harley Quinn's character in Suicide Squad, played by Margot Robbie. Uh, she was very much for the male gaze because she's very sexy. I mean, Margot Robbie's a beautiful, beautiful woman. She is. But in the cartoons, her character often wore a clown-inspired costume that barely showed any skin at all, when in Suicide Squad, she was almost naked. Yeah. I have more on Harley Quinn. We'll talk about her a little bit later. Okay, cool. Because I know with the most recent Harley Quinn movie that Margot Robbie starred in, there's like such a difference in the way that that character is portrayed. Another example is The Wolf of Wall Street. Margot Robbie. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I know. I'm like that poor woman. Yeah. Um, I actually, I would say Margot Robbie and Megan Fox, I think are the two biggest victims in Hollywood of the male gaze. In my I opinion. think that is fair. And I mean, granted with Wolf of Wall Street, I actually don't know because part of me is like, I don't think they're trying to say this is a good way of being. But, but they allowed it. But yeah, I agree. Like, I think in the article, it talked about how like, All they had to do to show how marginalized women were on the Wall Street trading floors were a few key scenes featuring prostitutes and parades of strippers. Instead, Scorsese and Winter carry on in shot after shot, displaying dozens of barely clothed or naked female bodies whose not-so-private parts are meticulously waxed or shaven. Mm. The breast stilettos and shimmying bottoms continue ad nauseum, starting to feel like the filmmakers are being seduced by the very Wall Street machismo they purposefully critiqued. That's true. It's it's almost like, no, we're critiquing this. It's like, mm. Yeah, but it's almost like they thing. saw it as a pass. They're like, oh, well, we're critiquing it, so therefore we can do it as many times as we want It's kind of like what they said they were doing with Euphoria, I think. They were like, yeah. no, we're critiquing bad relationships. It's like, well, then I think you can prove your point without me having to see her, her boobs over and over yeah. and over again. Well, there's so many different ways and like, examples of movies where i think you can depict things without like showing it over and over and over again totally oh 1000 percent. yes another example is top gun and jurassic world top gun i would dare say in also the most recent one and the 1986 one but there is kelly mcgillis she is first introduced by a scene that shows only her legs when she walks in. Which is also how Harley Quinn was introduced. Mm-hmm. It's in just the beginning a close-up to her body. Well, yes. Especially legs. That seems to be a repeating. Yes. And then when Claire Deering, or Bryce Dallas Howard, who plays her, runs away from a dangerous t-rex in jurassic world this came out in 2015 so it's not like this is like an old problem there's like the shot that focuses on her running i guess it's like they're probably like wow look at her she's running in heels but it's almost like emphasizing like the helplessness and the femininity of them but what i love this quote said this takes away the nuance and agency of female characters making the audience view them as objects instead of people in such films the female characters thoughts feelings and desires are swept away the primary focus is what she can provide to fulfill the male desire both in film and for the audience in such film women are seen as love interests for the male lead to win over the end or passive side characters there is a lack of films that characterize people and women from the woman's eyes and the last example I'll give is in Avengers, when Natasha Romanoff was played by Scarlett Johansson, when she was first introduced in Iron Man 2, she was nothing more than a femme fatale, basically. Tony Stark says, oh, I want one after meeting her. But then eventually her character was finally explored in the later Avengers movies. But at first we were definitely like spoon fed a shallow, sexy depiction of her. But like, it's not like that backstory didn't exist for the character like she had a very fascinating built-in backstory from the comic books and then later films like i said she did become a full-fledged character but i I read that this kind of happened by accident because the mostly male marvel writers they just recognized that audiences were intrigued by her and that they could capitalize on that not because like that was their intention from the start yeah you know it was almost like oh women are watching this too and oh they want to know more about her cool we'll make this for them then it also reminds me of like the uproar that captain marvel got oh yeah i forgot like about people that. were so mad about her because they were mm-hmm. calling like her outfit too feminist and the movie too feminist i went and saw it it wasn't that yeah feminist. i didn't think it was either i liked it i, I liked what walked out and heard the criticism and i was like did i miss something like oh. That happens all the time. I feel yeah. like, like, oh, this and this is like, well, I enjoyed it. So hmm. I thought it was beautiful. Like, I thought it was great. And it was more 
she was more like a tomboy character. So it made sense for her to be in what she was wearing. Like Totally. It didn't make any sense to me why everyone is so mad about it. I was like, she's a military woman. She, let her wear her cargo pants and buy a baseball hat. Like, of course hat. that's what she's going to wear. Yeah. yeah. It was so weird. But yeah, like, it reminds me kind of that where, you know, Romanoff, yeah. you know, she was a sexy character that they allowed to have more substance later. Totally. Where sometimes mm-hmm. when they try to add a character with substance right off the bat, if she's like not sexy enough, then people get mad. I do also want to talk about the fact that the male gaze is just as toxic for men as it is for women. Because a lot of men see men like Ben Diesel, Chris Hemsworth, and think that that's what they need to be like because this is what society tells them that women want. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, go to the gym, pump their bodies. They're like alpha bros. But... I think this is a good way to transition to the female gaze because it's like a lot of the times it's like, no, 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 that's not actually what women want. That's just what other men want from you. You know, we've talked about this a lot where it's like, it seems like the men from our past, they didn't actually like girls. They just wanted to get girls because it would make other men think they were cool like it would make it would make them look good to other men yeah so like they <laughs> and you know that's a lot of the reason why men say derogatory things about women's bodies or like look for a partner who looks exactly how they want them to it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with their own personal preference no you really love someone you don't care what weight they are you don't mm-hmm. care whether or not their hair was washed that day. You know what I mean? Like totally. You know, like obviously, to, obviously to, to an extent. extent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that like if you want a partner only to show off how they look to everyone else, you care more about yeah, then you're caring more about what other people think, i.e., other men, rather yeah. than what you actually care about. One thousand percent. A very, very huge problem. I more recently I've seen Taylor Lautner talking about it where like he's gotten almost like criticism because he doesn't look as good as he used to. But then he really talked about what he was doing to his body to achieve the level of fitness. And he was 18. Yeah. And it's not maintainable. It's not healthy. It's not Mm -mm. good. And so the fact that it's like men are seeing that as the ideal where it's like, no, you like it's just not good and it's not something to attain because like that's actually going to like cause harm for your body like he was 16 i think when the first twilight movie came out yeah the second one he would have been 17 with how ripped he was he was a kid yeah and then i it also makes me think of like how a lot of runway supermodels are like 16 year old girls totally and then we look at that as the idealized body when it's like that's gross guys that's a child like both of them children Mm-hmm. Their metabolisms are moving so fast because they are still growing. Yeah, because their body's <laughs> trying to grow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just how maybe we need to focus a little bit more on what the mature body looks like and how beautiful that can be. I love this graphic that you put in <laughs> where it's like, I think the best imagery I've seen to explain the difference between what men think male objectification is versus what women actually want is to see Hugh Jackman on magazine covers. Yep. Where... Like the Muscle and Fitness magazine, it is full Wolverine, so shredded, not shirtless, you know, shirtless, angry he looks face. mean. And then for good housekeeping, he's like in a sweater. He just looks nice and clean. He doesn't he's look smiling as buff. Like he looks like a fit dude, but like not to the it level. It cracks me up, especially yeah. the headlines. Like you've got Hugh Jackman. What does it say? The recipe that built the star of Logan yeah uh-huh. yeah or oh the routine so it's like hugh jackman the routine that built the star of logan on the men's magazine and then on True. the women's magazine hugh jackman's recipe for romance what keeps his marriage rock solid this is what women want <laughs> it's adorable honestly it's so cute and yet like you tell me like which one looks more attractive to me the oh, cute little hugh jackman in i a sweater. want hugh jackman in a blue sweater i don't like that's horrifying i'm good the other one and I also mean. how like women talk about how much they love hugh jackman getting to do all these musical roles because he's just like a little theater kid at heart and we're like yeah Aww. i love that oh also this is making me laugh where this like caption from i think tumblr it's like mm-hmm. hugh jackman on a woman's magazine he looks like a dad he looks like he's gonna bake me a quiche and sit and watch game of thrones with me he looks like he gives really good hugs like yeah so true like men think women want big hulking naked men in loincloths which is why they always quote he man as male objectification without realizing that he man is naked and buff in a loincloth because men want him to be 
True. Warm women would be happy to see him in a pink apron cutting vegetables and singing off key to 70s rock. That is truly my dream man that was just described there. <laughs> it also makes me think of like Ken. Yes. Uh-huh. You know, like Barbie and Ken, how Ken was always kind of just like Barbie's counterpart to like help her out with whatever she was doing. Mm-hmm. Like I think, wasn't there a set where like Barbie was the doctor and Ken was the nurse? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> It's so funny. (laughs) Where it's just like Ken was there to help her because Barbie, you know, wanted a boyfriend. Yeah. (laughs) But like she drove the dream car. Is it her dream house? Yeah. And he just wore his little Hawaiian shirt and his roller skates. (laughs) Which I think is a main plot point of the new Barbie movie coming up. Yes, exactly. I love it. So funny. Well, I think this is a great segue then to talk about the female gaze then yes so would you like to define it for us yes the female gaze is a term once again created by a feminist film theorist mm-hmm. <laughs> this time it was used to counter the male gaze in movies is it the same theorist is it laura mulvey yeah same one. Oh yeah okay so she defined both hooray cool yeah it's the opposite so my favorite example of this actually <laughs> is going back to harley quinn yeah. You have Harley Quinn for showing up as Margot Robbie in Suicide Squad. Will you actually click on a link for me? I want you to watch this. The dressing there, scene one? Yes. Cool. I'll describe it for everyone else. So in the scene, it's when they get off of the helicopters and stuff, and they give them back their bins of clothing. Oh, and yeah. And allowing them to dress <gasps> again. Oh, and she is just like fully naked in her bra and underwear, and everyone's stopping to look at her. And do you see what the camera does with her? Yeah, pans up her entire moves up her body. body. And then once she pulls her shirt down, she looks around and everyone is staring at her. Entire camp of men. There's no women. They're all looking at her. Mm-hmm. And she goes, "What?" And then they all look ar- look away and move on. And once again, validating the viewer to look at her as an object. Also, let's talk about how her jean shorts are basically just a yes, a denim thong. Yeah. And like ripped clothing, yeah. heels once again. She's about to go fight crime and they put her in heels. You know, really practical footwear for yeah. for fighting crime. Absolutely. Yeah. So I found like this YouTube video as well by, it's like a video essay. I will link that one as well because I cannot find the person's name right now. But she talked a lot about like Birds of Prey versus Suicide Squad and just how the camera angles were shot. Mm-hmm. That shows such a difference in how the two directors and everything viewed the character. And it's worth noting that Birds of Prey was a female director. Totally. Also costuming, she said. It's interesting if you look at the fact that the costuming wasn't actually like that different. And yet it no. was so like, different. It's still short shorts and a tight shirt. But like mm-hmm. the way it looks, it is so different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They made her hair shorter. So someone noted, like, her pigtails aren't long enough to pull on anymore, which... Oh. Yeah. Her bangs are more, like, choppy and fun rather than, like, seductively, like, framing her face instead of, like, these long pieces. Uh They made them, like, fun, choppy bangs. Yeah. They are pretty sure they made her wear a padded bra in Suicide Squad. Your boobs are a little bit smaller (laughs) in Birds of Prey, which is, I mean, totally fine, but... Yeah. Yeah. I'm guessing she didn't have a breast reduction between films, so Mm -hmm. that shows some costuming. And then her skimpy clothing looks more like a choice rather than the tired women's clothes strategically ripped across her Mm -hmm. ribcage exactly where it needs to be seen. Also, other things like in Suicide Squad, she's wearing a dog collar. Yeah, true. And her shirt literally says Daddy's Little Monster, which I know it ties into the whole Joker thing, but like, that's come on. Yeah. Let's Um, not be so on the nose of what we're doing here. Yeah. Whereas in Birds of Prey, like, she's still wearing short shorts. She's still, like, her shirt is technically more revealing, and yet somehow it looks very much so less revealing. Also, I'm seeing this point, too, where it's almost like the camera is focusing on her boobs in the Suicide Squad versus on her face in the Birds of Prey. her boobs at the center of the frame in Mm -hmm. Suicide Squad, whereas her face is... (laughs) Yes. Anyways, I think that's a perfect example. Like, if you want to see the difference between how they view a female... And it's not just inherently more modest, less modest. No. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with that. It's like how they allow the character to 
be. And what is interesting also is there was a huge uprising about Birds of Prey. A lot of men walked away from that film and said, wow, they took all of the sex appeal away from Harley. Maybe it wasn't ever supposed to be there in the first place. Yeah, but also why on earth would her being an independent person take away her being sexy? Yeah. What does Mm -hmm. that have to do with anything? You know, like, it's so like, let's do some internalized work here and (laughs) see what that means. If like someone being like, I mean, granted, I know like the character of Harley Quinn isn't a good person by any means, but no, you know, it's like confident, flirty, fun, silly. Like those are good traits for a woman to have. Yes. And why are you so turned off if it doesn't exist for you? Those traits. Exactly. Hmm. So very interesting. Also, I really loved the movie Birds of Prey. I never watched it. I should. I think it's really fun. I would recommend it, actually. A fake. I like it. Over here. Need yeah, to watch she, it. like, breaks up with Joker right at the beginning. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then it's, like, kind of the whole story after that. It, it's fun. I thought it was a fun movie. So another thing to note. So that's, like, how a woman is depicted in the female gaze. There's also a lot to note about how men are written by a woman or like Mm -hmm. depicted by women so men think women want like the knight in shining armor rescues the damsel in distress and someone called it the male power fantasy oh yeah totally (laughs) so they want to be wealthy mysterious hero who saves the day and gets the girl and they compare it to like christian bale's batman which i think is such a good example of the male gaze because like how many men talk about how that's like their favorite superhero movie 1,000%. And I don't hear very many women talking about that being their favorite superhero. (laughs) No. If anything, I liked the, oh my gosh, what is his name? The most recent Batman one. Oh, with Robert Robert Pattinson. Pattinson? Yeah, I I like that one. one. I I don't know if that's an unpopular opinion, but that's a good one. My favorite superhero is Ant-Man. That was a female gay superhero, I dare say. (laughs) Give me Paul Rudd with his ankle monitor playing Garage Band. Yeah, (laughs) that's... Yeah, valid, honestly. (laughs) Who's a dad and, like, takes care of his little daughter. Just, like, wants to take care of his kid. Yeah, that's super fair. Mm -hmm. It's so female gaze. (laughs) (laughs) That is female gaze coded. (laughs) And so, like, that's how a lot of men look at the ideal man, the ideal mm-hmm. character of a man. They also compare it a lot to like Loki versus Thor. That one gets yeah. compared a lot. A lot of women find Loki a lot more attractive than Thor. Totally. Mm-hmm. Or you think of like Timothy Chalamet versus Army Hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems a little bit more pointed like, with uh, allegations regarding <laughs> Army Hammer. So maybe just look at their like physical appearance. If we're strictly doing vibes, <laughs> not knowing what we now know. Otherwise, we would all choose Timothy Chalamet, I hope. Yeah. Yes. Very, very. Yeah. Also think of like Harry Styles. I think mm-hmm. this is probably controversial. I think his is very strategic in that a lot of his stylist and his campaign like they know what they're doing and what they're appealing to totally but honestly i'm fine that's refreshing yeah. that, that they care about the women audience exactly he knows what he's working with and yeah so he leans into that a lot of like mm-hmm. that feminine gaze totally and then it just kind of like talks about the fact that women desire emotional intelligence someone who's <laughs> unafraid of expressing themselves masculinity is a valid way of expressing yourself so not saying that that's a problem But it's just seeing beyond physical characteristics and outdated stereotypes to express gentleness, the ability to be oneself. I saw a thing that said almost like men desire objects, women desire people. Yeah. I think that's a little harsh way of putting it. Yeah, that is harsh. But in like maybe the worst iterations of it. Exactly. Some more examples I could think of were like the hand flex in Pride and Prejudice. Which we've discussed many times on this podcast. It's such a good scene. It's so hot. It's the hottest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) And how like men don't get it. And that's what's wrong with them. (laughs) Yeah. And I love that like some of these are by men. Like that was a male director who shot that scene. That man understood what he was doing or the eyelash scene in the holiday which i'm Mm. having like a hard time remembering exactly but she gets like an eyelash stuck and he like helps her that very feminine gaze another one i thought of on my own is the singing scene in 10 things i hate about you with heath ledger Mm -hmm. he gets up and sings on the bleachers and like is dancing and then trips Uh, at the end and falls i mean so many women love that movie (laughs) 
Let's let's think about that. <laughs> exactly. So it's just kind of stuff like that where you have to realize like women don't really desire the shirtless Thor. You know, like he's hot. There's no denying that. But like the things that I even find most attractive about Chris Hemsworth are when he's talking about the fact that like Natalie Portman wasn't available for a kissing scene. And so they asked him which model he wanted to use that could double as her. Mm -hmm. And he said, actually, my wife's just around the corner and she's the same height. Can we use her? Oh, that is nice. Right? (laughs) And so they brought him up in the final kiss and like, I think it was... I don't remember what movie it is. I'll have to look it up. The final kiss in one of them where you don't see Natalie Portman's face. That's Chris Hemsworth's wife. That is cute. Yeah. And like, yeah, the thing about I like Chris Hemsworth is he seems charming. He seems nice. He seems like Mm -hmm. a good guy. It's not that he's got muscles. I mean. No. Like, yeah, he's objectively very attractive. No, I can objectively use my (laughs) eyeballs, but like that's not the appeal, really. No. The (laughs) appeal is There's plenty of attractive people out there. Who he comes across as as a human being. Mm -hmm. like the characteristics he has as a person and I think that that's kind of like the important part of it also I think also women get a lot of flack for finding a lot of the Marvel men attractive but I've seen edits like done by female Marvel fans Mm -hmm. and they focus a lot on how they stick up for Scarlett Johansson yeah, but also how they stick up for her in interviews when people start asking her oh, about like her yeah. sex life or her outfits and stuff. And they'll be like, oh, you know, like I had to do a scene shirtless and jump right in and like take over and ease it for her because they're like, she doesn't deserve this. And this like they recognize the, the double standard. standard. Yeah. Uh, true. So it's like it's stuff like that that women cling to with these characters. Not and those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like not how hot they look half naked true very very true some examples of just movies that were made for women we've talked about this before where it's like women only account for two percent of producers 19 percent of executive producers 11 percent of writers 11 percent of directors four percent of cinematographers and then last year 24 percent of protagonists in that 100 highest grossing films were women so like you know the representation. But some movies that I think are obviously for women. I haven't seen this movie, but Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Also, Lady Bird is definitely for women. One example I loved, I actually haven't seen Killing Eve, but now after reading about this, it makes me want to because it's a rare show that depicts like dangerous women with obviously like bad motives. So it's not all about portraying women as like perfect, all, mm-hmm. you know, all virtuous beings but the character that was played by Sandra Oh and Jodie Corner's assassin they're not defined by their female sexuality instead they are inhibited by it as they explore their femininity through everything and it's basically like the fact that it's like it could have been a femme fatale like if a man wrote this it would have been like the sexy you know (laughs) like that's what it is but it's it's not about that at all. It's it's them showing them as like real human beings as opposed to them being sexy. So I thought that was like a cool like counter to what that femme fatale is. Another example is Fleabag. I also haven't seen that. No, um, I'm like I need to watch some of these. <laughs> I know. But then the last one is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Have you seen Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? I don't think so. Maybe I have. The show. Oh, my gosh. That show is actually probably one of my favorites of all time. In the ways that it's like, I don't think I ever want to watch it again because some of the scenes made me very, very uncomfortable. Just because like, well, the protagonist is not a person that you always love. Mm. You love her, but she's very flawed. And so sometimes it's just like hard to watch as she like messes her life up. It was written by a woman and it's so funny. It's like my exact humor, which like take that what as you will. Maybe that's a good (laughs) thing to you. Maybe that's a bad thing to you. But I love Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. So I guess there's some recommendations of some very popular tv shows that you can go support that are made maybe with a woman-minded audience with the female gaze in mind yeah you want to go watch something for you love that well dang anything else we need to touch on i don't think so i think it just comes back to like being really aware of what you're watching totally and consuming and how we talked about earlier it's like sometimes preferences are society compounding on itself i don't know yeah it really does it makes you think really differently about like Mm -hmm. i don't know because i was even thinking i was like wow is it bad that like objectively i think chris hemsworth is hotter than like loki tom hiddleston yeah well okay here's the thing i guess there's a balance because like sure some preferences are just people's preferences and that's legitimate that's so legitimate but sometimes they could come from other things and i know so or like, also, huh. I think even more dangerously is the expectations we put on ourselves. 
that's that's where it comes becomes i think dangerous is if you see all these beautiful hot women sometimes it's hard for me you know to like see hot women all over media and be like well i am not so naturally sexy and hot you know and they're also not either they got camera angles and film crews that are panning up their bodies and it's probably photoshopped it's not fair to us it's not fair to them and you don't have to be so hard on yourself and and same with men men don't have to be so hard on themselves no definitely not I think, yeah, it's important to realize how much it benefits both of us to not give in to the stereotypes of all. We're like, okay, let's all just be nicer and realize that all of these are extremely idealized versions Mm -hmm. and none of it's realistic for either side. Yeah, like no, both parties are being negatively affected here. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us today, listener, and be back next week because we'll be discussing another artist. And I picked mine out especially for Pride Month. She has a crazy cool story. So come back, learn about her. And if you're a big fan of the podcast and have been liking it, leave us a rating review. Follow us on Instagram, morethanamuse.podcast. And I would love to know what kind of episodes and what kind of content you like as we're planning out the rest of the year, send us some ideas. We can definitely see if we can filter that into our, into what we're doing. Yeah, definitely. We're always open for things, especially because we don't hear about everything that all of you do. Totally. Mm -hmm. Out there in the art and media world. We'll see you next week. Yay. See you next week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.